This episode of the All For One podcast is brought to you by My Diabetes Diet, a personalized diabetes management plan created specifically for people who are struggling with diabetes-related issues such as high blood sugar, unwanted weight, and high cholesterol, plus many other things to help you improve your overall health, lose weight, and manage your diabetes. Their team of qualified nutritionists create personalized meal plans that cover caloric intake, macronutrient composition, and the amount of sugar and cholesterol you need to consume. Now, this isn't just a digital recipe book. This app features include no equipment beginner workouts, grocery lists, detailed progress trackers, activity log, and active diabetes online community. They believe every person deserves to live their best life possible without feeling too restricted or forced to eat foods that they don't like. Just head to www.mydiabetes.diet forward slash all dash four, the number four dash one. That's www.mydiabetes.diet forward slash all dash four dash one. And if you use the coupon all for one, A-L-L-4-O-N-E, then you will get 75% off a six month plan, or in other words, that's a six month plan for the price of three months. All of those links will be in the description or the show notes below, so do check those out if you're interested. Now, I hope that's helpful to some of you, and by checking out our sponsors, you'll help me make more of these podcasts and YouTube videos. But now, on with the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the All Form Podcast. It's Jamie here and I am back after a brief illness. I just needed to get better, some time to rest up, you know the drill. Uh, but I am back today with you for an hour long episode, uh, a really interesting one because I'm speaking to um, quite famous in the States for his design work, John Robert Wilkin, who is pretty much bulletproof. Now this guy has most recently uh, survived quite a serious bout of COVID. He has spent most of his life um, pretty much registered blind, but is also an award-winning designer. So how did that all happen? Oh, did I mention he's got type one diabetes too? Uh, we're gonna find out in the course of today's episode, enjoy. So today is a very exciting episode. John, thrilled to have you here. I think potentially my first international guest so I, I that's something that i've always wanted to do get get someone from uh, the states on the podcast and we've managed to make it work um now yours is a really really interesting story and i'm really happy to, to share it um with listeners because i think what a lot of people struggle with with type 1 diabetes is um because because it's such a constant obstacle they often find it hard to overcome it and and a lot of people kids living with a condition especially struggle with um you know they struggle with the management of their condition but you have managed to overcome several obstacles and several um obstacles that are going to be with you for all of your life so just give people a brief overview of of your story um i've been a type 1 diabetic since i was eight years old which was 53 years ago I was diagnosed in 1967. At that time, my parents were told that they shouldn't expect me to reach 30. Um, there wasn't a lot known about the disease other than 
the complications that it caused. But, but, but as far as the treatment is concerned, the treatment was um, sophomoric at best. Um, and, um, you know, like all kids when I was eight, nine, and even in my teens, I, I didn't want to be a diabetic. Hmm. And so I did all the things that we're not supposed to do, ate all the stuff that I shouldn't have eaten, um, which there were consequences for later on in life. And um, some of those consequences include, um, I had retinopathy in my early 20s. I spent four years fighting that, having not only surgeries on my eyes, vitrectomies, which removed the vitreous gel from the back of the eye, but also a lot of laser work to cauterize the leaky blood vessels. Um, and after four years worth of that work, I mean, there were times during that period where I was totally blind. Hmm. Um, but after four years, the vision was restored in one eye. I'm, I, am, I have been since that time totally blind in the other eye. What happened was the retina tore right down the middle from, from the scar tissue that was caused from the laser work. Yeah. And that seems to be a very common circumstance with diabetics that get retinopathy. It's like you lose the vision in one eye and you are blessed to have remaining division in the other. Um, so after all of that was done and over with, then I had a kidney transplant. Um, and then I started in my early 30s having silent heart attacks. And then um, I uh, started fighting cellulitis and osteomyelitis, which is bacteria that gets into your skin or into your bones and causes infection. And, and part of that problem was a result of the anti-rejection drugs that I take to keep my kidneys. So, you know, you solve one problem and you create some other problems, you know? There's there's a pill for everything, you know, after a while there are also um, problems caused by those pills that you take. And um, so after 17 years of fighting both of those conditions, I ended up having one of my legs chopped off, lost 12 pounds in an hour and a half. That's just way to, to diet that there is out there, you know? Um, and, and were all of these things, um, as a, were they complications related to diabetes? All of them, absolutely. Yeah, including the leg? Yes, wow. including the leg. Yeah, amputations are very common with diabetics. Um, and then what? Um, I um, had COVID last year. Yes, I remember I heard reading that. So I, I'm actually about to get my vaccine tomorrow. <laughs> I'm on my way so, to get my you know what? I'm really surprised yeah. to hear that even someone as young as yourself is getting it in the UK because here in the States, we're doing it by ages and they started, you know, with the 90 year olds and they're working yes. their way down. I, um, I, I, I am not expecting to get my first shot for probably another month. 
Wow. Uh, well, uh, hopefully you'll have some um, immune um, resistance from having COVID, but you had it quite bad, didn't you? I was in the hospital for 15 days. The doctors called my husband and said to start making arrangements for wow. um, uh, for my funeral, cremation. Um, but here I am. I'm like a cockroach. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing with you. So, um, you know, I, I did I did your whole sort of spiel in, in the intro, but um, you have just got a knack for sort of getting back on your feet and, and getting on with it. And it's it's really nice on the podcast to highlight people with diabetes who have achieved what they set out to do, because um, I, I, I worry that sometimes when you receive a diagnosis, and I mean, I, I got my diagnosis at 23, a real crucial time in my life when I was just getting started in the industry that I wanted to get in. Um, luckily, I just had a really stubborn mentality that I wasn't gonna let anything stop me. But maybe if I'd have like sit and reflected about how this condition was gonna change my life, maybe I wouldn't have been such a goal getter. So it's nice to bring people on um, who who do achieve. And um, you know, you're still achieving despite um, you know losing a leg um, and getting sort of bro brought down quite severely by COVID. Um, you're you're still winning awards. Um, yeah, even after I retire, because I did retire. <laughs> Um, several years ago, I okay. worked, worked in the design industry since that time, which I'm really proud of. Um, and I'm mentoring students right now, and I'm trying to sell a book that I've written. Um, you know, when I was diagnosed at this early age, and you're told that you have a limited amount of time here on the planet, it's you either choose to sit in a corner and feel sorry for yourself and and not accomplish or not rise to the occasion but it was like i wanted to do everything mm. and you know i still have a bucket list that's the size of a 55 gallon drum as you, you know should. a lot of stuff i want to do and um so I got out there and, and did it. I graduated from high school in three years. I was kicked out of design school. I started my own business by the time I was 18 years old. Um, and I have traveled the world. And yeah. even when I was sick with these conditions of osteomyelitis and cellulitis, and I had a pick line in my arm so I could do at home IV antibiotics twice a day. I was traveling with a suitcase full of dry ice and drugs. And um, I worked for three and a half years in Africa, going back and forth to Nigeria. Um, and, um, and I'm really glad that, I, that I, I've done all of that. Mm. And that I, you know, people ask me, well, how do you travel? And I'm like, what do you mean? How do you travel? You get on a plane and you go, you know? I mean, it's well, I mean something really interesting that's happened already in this conversation is, is I think there's a complete different lens that you were told about diabetes than I was. So, I mean, it, it was shocking to me to hear that the, the doctors told your parents that you were to be, that, to expect a, a limited amount of time. Yeah. Well, you know, again, technology has made so many advancements and 
And while we have been promised a cure for diabetes for 30 or 40 years already. It's always five years away. <laughs> right. Um, at least there have been advancements in continuous glucose monitors. Do you wear one? I have the Freestyle Libra, so I use the Flash. Okay, and that's flash. what I have, and I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I started with the Medtronic one, mm -hmm. and you know, you had to calibrate it four times a day. It would wake you up at two o'clock in the morning. It would, you know, you'd be in a meeting with a bunch of clients, and this buzzer would go off, and I'd be like, you know what, I, I can't do that. And so I stopped using that and went to the Freestyle Libre, which I really love having and has made my life so much simpler. Do you wear a pump? Uh, yes, the the AccuCheck Insight. It's it's a bit it's a bit old school technology. I think I'm I'm waiting for the warranty to expire so so I can I move on to a different system. What do you use? So at the time that I was first diagnosed, I went home and we were using glass syringes that had to be boiled to be sterilized, and you reused it. Wow. And, and those were not the fine little needles that you get with an insulin syringe. I've, I've right? heard horror stories about the needle tips. And they, reusable you know, needle tips as well. Thicker, which caused um, atrophy to your skin and you had to make certain you were rotating sites. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I did it to myself as a kid, I just always did it in my legs. And mm -hmm. someone's like, you should try your stomach. Well, I tried my stomach once with, with those big thick needles it didn't really feel very good in the stomach and so once was all i could do you know um and and so there have been a lot of changes i mean when there was no such thing in 1967 as testing your blood glucose mm. you peed into a cup and then it took an eyedropper and put 25 drops in a test tube and then you dropped a blue pill into it not not uh what you call it Viagra, but a different <laughs> and 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 it would turn your urine a certain color, and you'd hold it up to a chart, and it would be an approximate. Everything was a range. You're between eighty and one twenty. You're between one twenty and one eighty, or one eighty and two forty, or above two forty. I mean, that's as good as it got. And it did. It, 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 I mean, that bodes well, though. So, okay, we haven't got the cure that we we're ever promised, but. The, the rate of the increase in, in the capabilities of technology does make me feel positive that maybe we can, you know, find an effective cure with tech. We see the closed looping systems. And um, I, I interviewed a professor recently for Diabetes UK about um, uh, what, what were they called? Uh, basal cell, beta cell implants. So yeah, yeah. stick a bag of stem cells into you and like they'll make insulin for a bit. Yeah, um, I actually interviewed with a doctor who was doing islet cell transplants several years ago, and he had patients who have been living um, injected insulin-free for 10 years. And right. I actually spoke with um, two of those patients, um, and I was, like, ready to go for it. But the thing was that because of the amount of anti-rejection drugs that being required to take with that transplanted stem cell or islet cell, um, it would kill the kidney that I, the transplanted kidney that I had, and I would then need another kidney. And I thought, you know what, there's just no way. And 
And a lot of the problems that I've had have definitely been a result of the anti-rejection drugs that I've taken for 34 years. Right. I have the same transplanted kidney for 34 years, which is like a miracle. It's not like a miracle. It is a miracle. And when it, I got that, they told me to expect it to last 12 to 15 years. Oh. So, so you know, I've kind of outlived the expected uh, life term of, of that um, yeah. kidney came from my mom. Uh -huh. um, so it was a great match, which makes a huge difference. And, um, and I just was not willing to sacrifice for kidney. No, to, absolutely. To try with this eyelid cell transplant. And, and I've just realized, you know, with you getting COVID, you, you are literally, you know, with, with your um, the, the anti-rejection meds, you are you're absolutely one of the most highest risk patients. Oh, um, my God. Absolutely. I mean, all the things that they say make you high risk. I will have them all. You know, yeah, you, you literally tick all the boxes. Um, how do you think it happened? Do you know what? That's an awesome question. I got it because I get everything. <laughs> <laughs> and that just comes from being immune suppressed you know yes um, yeah well yeah with the virus before i got covid i had um three different kinds of pneumonia all at once wow. and i was in the icu for 21 days and um and I, you know once again no one expected me to live through that um but as a result of that, my lungs, I have um, pulmonary fibrosis, which means that the, the tissue and the muscles surrounding my lungs, they, it doesn't expand and contract like yours does when you're taking a deep breath mm. because the shell of my lungs has hardened. I see. And, um, and, and so how did I get COVID? I was quarantined way before anybody in the States was even doing that. Yeah. Um, but it, it didn't matter. I mean, for like six weeks, I was locked in the master bedroom suite of my home. And um, I mean, to get exercise, I was like putting on VH1 or I was putting on YouTube and playing some old disco music and just <laughs> dancing away in my room. But, but I finally did come down with something. At first I was hoping it was um, just, you know, a really bad cough uh, or bronchitis. Yeah. And I am subject to getting bronchitis also, but it finally I had to go to the hospital. And I put that off and put it off and put it off because all you heard on the news was don't go to a hospital because if you go to the hospital, you're going to get COVID. Oh, I see. I mean, that's what the press in our country was broadcasting every day, you know, and, and they were painting these horrid pictures about the hospitals being so full that you'd be on a, on a gurney laying in a hallway somewhere and you wouldn't be getting the treatment that you needed. Well, in the hospital that I went to, which is a block from my house where I live, it was not like that at all. And... I mean, obviously, I got excellent service. They wanted to put me on a respirator in an ICU room. I would not allow that because respirators actually do damage to your lungs, and so does COVID. So the combination of 
putting the two of those things together is more oftentimes lethal than it is life-saving. Hi guys, me again. Just wanted to remind you of today's sponsor, My Diabetes, who have an absolutely massive offer for you guys. Just head to www.mydiabetes.diet forward slash all dash four dash one. And if you use the coupon code all for one, that's A-L-L-4-O-N-E, then you will get 75% off the six month plan. All of those links will be in the description, all the show notes. So if you're interested, please check them out. And there's some other ways to support the show if you'd like. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Jamie Lowe TV for as little as one pound there. You can get access to exclusive content and be in direct daily communication with me. Or if you fancy supporting a different way, then you can go to shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash broken dash pancreas dash gang, where you can get your hands on t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and other stuff with designs that I made myself. But let's, let's, let's leave COVID and that sort of stuff um, right there, because I'm sure everyone's sick of talking about uh, COVID. Let's, let's hear more about you. So uh, working as, as a designer, we haven't spoken much about it. You started right, right. When, yeah. when you were quite young. Um, and, and was it to start something like that at that age, it needs a bit of, uh, not arrogance, but a bit of you know, self-confidence. So what, what, what did, why did you know that you were so good at this? Well, God, that's a great question. Um, I don't know that I thought that I was so good at it. I knew that I loved doing it. Uh-huh. And, and so that's how it started. I mean, I was really passionate about that. And, and my introduction to that whole world was working in the theater. Um, <laughs> You know, when I was 16 years old, I worked in the live performance theater and I was like the guy that inventoried the props for a specific play that we're doing. Um, And I worked with a lot of old time Hollywood actors and actresses who were extremely nice to me. But, 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 you know, I learned about things like lighting and furniture and creating moods and, and the thing was that the theater would close for three months at a time in between productions. And so it was like, okay, well now what am I going to do for money? So I, I needed something more regular than that, you know? And my mom says, you should be an accountant. You know, get a job as an accountant, you know? I'm like, oh, screw that. I'm <laughs> not that I have anything against being an accountant, but, but, but I, I have always been creative my entire life and, I just wanted to do something that enabled me to, to use my creativity. Um, I studied drawing and printmaking and painting and all of those venues to express myself as an artist. And I thought, you know, it's gonna be pretty hard to make money doing that too. I mean, Monet died not having any money, you know what I mean? Um, and I didn't want that to be me. And you know, when I was 18 years old, my mother gave me the bill for my health insurance and said, here, you have to pay this the rest of your life. Do yeah. not let it lapse because you are uninsurable and the company will not cover you if you don't pay this. So, I, I mean, it's much different today for people, 
you know, you could be on your parents' insurance policy until you're 26 years old here in the United States, uh, which certainly makes your pursuit of a career and and perhaps starting a business or whatever a little bit simpler than when okay. I was doing this. So, so it was a bit of a it was a bit of a risk then to set up your own enterprise when you know you had this lifelong cost to pay um to do it yourself to go out on your own it was a bit risky because uh, like you just said there you know it's safer to go with a company who have health perks health benefits and that sort of stuff and, and a guaranteed income but I mean, it was it was a good risk to take because I flicked through um, some of the designs on your website, some of the pictures on your website, and I have to admit to you, interior design is something that absolutely intimidates me. I am no good at making anything look good, even even when it comes down to trying to turn um, my, my bedroom into an interesting setup for a home studio. That stuff just goes right over my head. Um, but I really like um the what was the picture that i brought oh it's disappeared now there was one and it was a, it was a it was an apartment and it was just like really bold colors i think there was a big long blue uh couch or sofa with with an orange thing uh, like blanket draped over it that's the sort of stuff that like it, you know in my wildest dreams if i could like make that happen um that that's what i'd do but obviously it's, it's a craft that you built up over time right well, sure. And, you know, in the beginning, I was, it was just me. And so I was working, you know, until 10 and 11 o'clock at night um, because I was doing everything. So I was meeting with clients, trying to find clients, first of all, you know. And when, once you find a client, then you need a contract. So I was writing contracts. Then I'm taking the contracts and getting them to sign it. And then I'm doing the floor plans, doing the drawings and doing whatever. I mean, I did it all. And um, I went from that to having 10 people working for me who each had a specific assignment because that's how busy we were, you know. So when two people did the bookkeeping and following up on orders and, and collecting the money and whatever, and there were kids that were working on the drawings and people who were shopping for the merchandise that we were perhaps getting incorporated into our projects, uh, you know, what I did was a lot more than just sell furniture and make a house look pretty. I mean, I have built houses from the ground up. So it meant all of those drawings, the exterior elevations, um, the floor plans, site plans, developing an entire site, which was my project in Africa, taking a two acre site um, on the island of Akui. And that piece of land was the equivalent with before I put a house on it was the equivalent of 15 million US dollars. Wow. No and, and while we talk about that, it's not it's not just anyone that you were working for. Tell, tell us who your client was there. He was the former governor of um, of Lego State. So so a pretty a pretty serious player in, in that country. So you, yes. you know you're not not only in that country, but on the whole Ivory Coast of Africa. Well, wow. and, and just talk about that whole experience. It must have been um, quite a wild one. It, I will say, it was like going to Harvard. 
I mean, what I learned from interacting with a, a totally different culture um, from what I had previously been exposed to here in the States all my life um, was exciting. I mean, sometimes I felt like I was in a James Bond movie. I mean, every time I got off a plane, you know, I was met by bodyguards carrying AK-47s that drove me around and and sat outside my hotel room door at nighttime. It, 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 it was wild. It was really wild. And um, was that sort of a project that you dream of? Because I'm sure as a designer, one of the, you have all the ideas, but there are limitations set by the client. Um, was that one of the projects that you've worked on where maybe money wasn't so much of uh, uh, a, 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 what's the saying? Money is no object. Yeah, was it, was, it, was it one of those sorts of things where you could really sort of go to town on it? Well, I was in total control of this project. So, you know, the landscaping, the parking lot for 30 cars, um, which I had to conceal and make it look like it blended in with, with a residence, not with an office building, you know? Um, uh, housing for all the security guards, or 25 security guards on this property. Wow. We had an Israeli security company that consulted with us on, on, on security for this home. And um, they divided the site into six imaginary different plots and different guards were to be assigned to different sections. Wow. And if that guard crossed his section, went to another one, he would be shot. What? <laughs> yeah, that's it. It, so, it, so when you ask me this question about would, would um, was it something that I, dreamt of, well, certainly I never dreamt of working in Africa, you know, uh, Roman A, France, perhaps, or the English countryside, I would love to do that, you know, Yeah. but here I am on the equator um, in an enormous city. I mean, Lagos now has 24 million people. Mm. I mean, it's enormous, you know. They do not have high rises like we do here in the United States because they have power outages all the time still. Since the queen gave them their freedom in 1961, they have generated less electricity today than they did when it was still a um, province of the UK. Wow. I mean, I'd, I'd sort of meant um, in terms of like, it must be fun to spend someone's money. Um, but on a project that size, the, you know, the budget was, was almost endless. But yeah, 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 you're right. It was one of the, it must be one of those situations where, where you're like, how did I end up here again? But, you know, more sort of straightforward projects. You've worked for some pretty big names, haven't you? That, that maybe our listeners would, would know about. Um, well, John Cusack was a client of mine. Um, God, Jerry Krause, who, uh, Steve Hardy, TV talk show host. And, uh, and when you're working with those people, uh -huh. I mean, what, what are the differences between your average client and then a famous client? 
Well, uh, first of all, I'd like to say that there's not really an average client because, you know, either you, you're in the headlines because you are, uh, you have a huge fan base as a movie star, actor, or you're in the press because you're the CEO of a enormous drug company and every day there's something else being said. So, and, and that was the kind of customers that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, I treated everyone the same. Mm-hmm. Whether they were a celebrity or not, um, we gave everybody the same courtesies and and the same standard of excellence. Um, and and I had a lot of um, interactions with that Hollywood crowd for a while. And you know, the last thing they really wanted was to hear, "Oh, I loved your movie, blah blah blah." And they wanted to have a normal conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and just just going back to the start, because you, you, you lost some sight quite early on. Was yes. that a worry to, you know, when you're starting with your first, you know, you start with a client base of zero, you're trying to get new work so you can make the money to pay for the insulin um, eventually. Um, right. Did, did, yeah. did the, the eyesight issues um, cause any problems? Well, it was a huge problem. I mean, you know, how how do you navigate the world of design when you can't see? And and I, I mean, I had 11 surgeries on my eyes in those four years. So there was a lot of downtime for me. Hmm. Um, and I had, I had really good help then. I've, fortunately, for whatever reason, I've had really good help my entire life and um those people that worked with me always were able to i mean i never told my clients i couldn't see because who's gonna hire me if i say hey you know here i am you know i can't see you but i could do a great job on your house because i have a good feeling for houses you know that 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 doesn't work in the real world and so we never told people. And at that time, I had this woman who was working with me. Um, and we would just walk arm in arm and smile and laugh and and say ridiculous things. And I remember one time we went to a house. I had just gotten out of the hospital. I just had surgery on both eyes. My eyes were, my whole head was bandaged up. And in order to go to this meeting, I'm like, you know what, I've got to take these bandages off because otherwise there's no point in going to the meeting. So we took the bandages off. And I mean, she like screamed when she saw how monstrous my eyes looked because they were all red. And they had, for the surgery that they had done, they had cut some of the skin off the inside of the eyelids. And I mean, it it, I was a mess, you know what I mean? So we go to this, big mansion built in like 1895, um, all red granite, uh, exterior of this facade, kind of a Romanesque styled um, home. And we're walking up the stairs and she's counting and she's like, oh my God, I wish you could see this house because 
this is the most amazing house you've ever been asked to do. And at that time I was 23 years old, you know? Um, and, and the people look at me and they're like, oh my God, what's wrong with their eyes? And I'm like, oh, I have allergies. And they're like, oh, our kids have allergies too, you know? And it's like, that's how I, I you know, how I survived at that time. And, um, and surprisingly, I got enough work to support an office and to pay my bills. And, and my insurance at that time was already more money than my mortgage. Because when I was 22 years old, I bought a building, had three apartments in it. I lived in one flat and, and I rented the other two out. So I essentially lived there for free after I got done fixing the whole thing up because it was really scheduled for demolition and building court. And, and I did a lot of that work with some friends of mine, running up and down stairs, carrying out the old kitchens and bathrooms when I couldn't see. Uh, but what, what are you doing right now? So you've meant you, you're, you're working on a book and then you've also got a blog, haven't you? I have a blog. Um, I, I'm also right now creating the, I finished writing my book. It took a long time because when it started, my book was 160,000 words and a book memoir of my sorts should be in the commercial market, 85,000 words. So that meant a lot of editing and it's like, you know, I put my heart and soul into putting everything into it. It's like, okay, well, what do I cut? You know, and that's, yeah, and I, that took that's more time than actually writing the book. And, and really being a first time writer, I mean, I certainly have written press releases for all the years of my career, but this was different. Mm-hmm. And um, so it took a little bit of time. I had a lot of good help with that also. And so now I'm in the writing the book proposal part of that project, which my book proposal when I'm done will be probably 65 pages. And the yeah, I I'd imagine after, after pouring your heart and soul in, into, into the book, I'd imagine to try and even condense it down into an elevator pitch is, is going to be the hardest thing. I mean, it's, it's sort of similar to... Um, when, when I finally uh, came to the end of um, the, the, the company that I was working for, it was like, right, I have to create what's called a showreel, where you put all of your best clips all together, and the, everyone tells you, make it no longer than two and a half minutes. Now, I've only worked in sort of TV and radio for, for, for five, six years. And even in that time, I have thousands and thousands of hours of me doing stuff. So that was, that was the hardest bit. And it, I put it off, I honestly put it off for so long. Um, so what, you know, when you get to editing down your book, are you going to be able to let go of things? You know, if, if, if the publisher says, now listen, this chapter about your legs really interesting and all, but it just doesn't work. What, what are you going to be able to do? Well, at the end of the day, my attitude is that the publisher will know best. So I have edited it down to 85,500 words. And, um, and, you know, I have a title, which is the same title as my blog, the candy in my pocket. Um, because, you know, as diabetics, we all got to carry a piece of candy around with us in case something happens, right? So it seemed like that made a lot of sense. Before yeah. that, I had a different title, which was 
how to lose 12 pounds in an hour and a half. But that sounds like a diet book. And so thin people like you or myself are not going to pick that up off a table in a bookstore because it's like, oh, I don't, that's, you know, I don't need that book. Um, and, and so, so if a publisher likes the story, but they don't like the title, I have to rely on their expertise also. I mean, they have a lot more to bring to the table, certainly than I do. So, yeah, I mean, you've sort you've sort of done your bit now. It's it's you've got to sort of give it up to somebody else, you know, who no, no doubt knows uh, a bit more about books and and that sort of stuff. And yeah, complete trust in in their their wisdom. So the, the blog. Candy in my pocket. The candy in my pocket, which is a was a, a working title for your book. How, how does that differ from um, your memoirs? What do you blog about? Well, it is exactly my memoirs, and it's 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 my life as a type one diabetic up until now. I'm still here, so I ended saying to be continued. Um, and and it's mixed with my with my life working they were not two different lives. One was totally meshed with the other. And so while certain surgeries were going on, I'm also writing about what's going on in business or in my personal life or with my friends or in my travels. I mean, for a long, long time to build up my brand, I would host these pool parties, we call them, where it was just an excuse to get people together. But for years I did it at the Beverly Hills Hotel and I rented a whole bunch of cabanas, opened them all up, put them all together and, and people just hung out. And of course, everybody loved coming there. But after 10 or 12 years of doing that, it got a little boring. You know, it's like, okay, we gotta take this on the road and go someplace else. So then, you know, one was in Istanbul and one was in Nice and Monte Carlo and one was in Florence and South Africa. I started moving things around and traveling and taking people with me. Um, when we were in Istanbul, John Cusack and a friend of his came with us. Wow. Uh, um, it, it was an, it, I will say that was one of the most awesome trips ever. Um, so, so all of some of those stories are also incorporated into into the book. So, so well, I mean, I mean, your, your your blog, you're sort of commenting on stuff that's happened as well. You know, current stuff. So it's it's not like um, people are going to be able to get between all the writing and posting on different Facebook pages for you know groups for amputees and blind people and kidney transplant people and all that. I mean, it's a full-time job, <laughs> you know, so. And, and I'm just on, on your uh, blog page right now, um, thecandyinmypocket.com for people who want to check it out. I'll put um, that up on the screen and a link in the description, all that sort of stuff. Um, you say that your secret debilitating and death-defying battle with diabetes. So how, how secret was it? And when did you decide, decide that it didn't need to be a secret anymore? Um, it was secret for a long time because, again, I was worried that people wouldn't hire me if, I, they, knew, if they knew I was going next week for a kidney transplant. Mm. You know, it's like the, at the time that I had my kidney transplant, 
the success rate was 60%. Wow. So it's like, you know, am I going to make it? Am I not going to make it? What's going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. But if I expressed that to people that I was trying to sign up as customers, they'd be like running the other way, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, as a matter of fact, you know, I had toxemia. My feet were so swollen because my kidneys were no longer working that I couldn't even put shoes on anymore. And and before I had this transplant, I had an interview with a, a couple that was to prove to be my biggest job up until that time. And right. so for two days, I stayed in bed with my feet elevated so that the swelling would go down. So I could put a pair of shoes on for two hours so I could drive to these people's house and talk to them and sell them on how good I was and what I could do with their home. And and then go back home and put my feet back up, you know, and hope I could get my shoes off. I mean, well, that, that's that's dedication to to your dreams and um just when we're, we're nearly reaching the end of the hour so just just on that vein then what is something that you can say that will give somebody else struggling to make their dreams and diabetes work together because you know i've hit those obstacles too i've thought that i i you know i was in i was in norway filming a, a, a travel documentary and i froze my insulin i didn't realize um, you know, my insulin died because it was so cold and I didn't realise for a few days and I got actually a little bit ill, but the, the shooting schedule was so um, busy that I was like, oh God, I, I don't know if I should be doing this. Should I be doing this? So so what what was it or what can you say that will let people listening or watching to this walk away with a bit of your can-do attitude? It's a big ask, but go on. I'm sure yeah. you Yeah, okay. You know what? Whether you have diabetes or another debilitating disease, and there are all kinds of them, as we know, um, everybody's got a story. And, and all I can say is that you have to get out there and live and not let this keep you from doing anything and everything that you want to do. Because um, as, I, as I tell a lot of people, you don't know what this um, unfortunate set of circumstances has saved you from worse circumstances. A philosophy and, that I'd agree with, actually. Right? And, 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 I mean, just get out there and do it, you know? I, Life is, is amazing if you let it be. And it's about choices. You can choose to let it be amazing or you can choose for it not to be. So what do you want for yourself? But it's so much more fun when, when you're out there living life large and having a good time. And, you know, it, I, I think that's, that's a, a proof of a good life. If by, you know halfway through you've got enough to write a book that's you know tens of thousands of words long i think i think that's evidence that that getting out there and just getting on with it living it is um is worth it and i I think I, i think coming out of lockdown i think we're gonna hope you know april i think is when things 
are going to start to reopen with really heavy restrictions and then June here is when you know the shackles should be released if all goes well. So I think there's going to be like a renewed energy. People are going to, you know, they won't take things for granted anymore. People are going to be getting out there, traveling, going and finding new hobbies, going places, seeing friends. Um, so I, I think, you know, if you have found lockdown hard, I think I think as it's coming to an end, the time really is now to, you know, work out what you didn't get to do and what, what you felt like you'd missed out on the lockdown. and. and absolutely go and do it because like like john was saying you don't know until you do but john it's been a really interesting chat um i'm sure people are very interested in your story so how can they um get a bit more of you online where can you be found well certainly they can go to my blog the candy in my pocket and read up on um that there is not only stories about my life with diabetes but my entire career photos from various jobs that I've done, photos from, from travels that I've taken. I've written about Istanbul on there. I've written about South Africa, which is an amazing country to go to. Um, I've written about my travels to Nigeria. So there's, there's all kinds of, there's a broad assortment of stories, if you will, to read up about. And then of course, you know, kidney transplants and COVID and all of it, you know, kind of covers the, <laughs> all the things that go on in a person's life. Uh, well, I, I think uh, you, you've experienced more than the average um, and definitely looking forward to uh, reading your book when that comes out. We should do a, another episode then to tell people when that's available. But thank you so much uh, for chatting yeah, today for the All Form podcast. Yeah, great. Okay, have a good one. And there we go. That is your episode for this month. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you fancy helping me out, then do check out uh, the links to ways that you can support the podcast or you could do it really easily right now. Just give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to this show. It would mean the world to me. And, and if you're watching on YouTube, please, please give it a thumbs up. I'll be back next month with a panel episode. Um, so if you're interested in jumping aboard and getting involved in the All Form podcast yourself, all you have to do is get in touch with me. Um, you can either email contactallforone at gmail.com or you can tweet me at TV. That's the same for Instagram too. Send me a DM on there. Um, and that is pretty much how you'll be able to get yourself on the Ilf One podcast. And um, that is uh, what I need you to do. So we've got a fresh panel for the next episode. But thank you so much for watching or listening, whichever one you did. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for watching and listening to the All For One podcast. Remember, today's sponsors are My Diabetes, who have an absolutely massive offer for All For One listeners. Just head to www.mydiabetes.diet forward slash all dash the number four dash one. And if you use the coupon code all for one a double l four o n e then you will get 75 percent off the six month plan all of the links and information you need will be in the description or the show notes so please check those out if you are interested thanks for listening or watching bye bye